podcast of the Tuscola County Prevention and Recovery Coalition. I am Susan Holder, the Director of Marketing and Training at Tuscola Behavioral Health Systems. This podcast has been funded through a grant by Mid-State Health Network. Listeners will hear open conversations with local community representatives and local organizations, as well as actionable tips, strategies, and resources that can be implemented into your daily life. Today's podcast is on a subject that some individuals may not like to talk about or may not feel comfortable talking about, but it's a, they need to have a conversation with friends and family regarding suicide awareness and prevention. And now I would like to welcome Barb Smith. Barb is an executive, is the executive director and founder of the Barb Smith Suicide Resource and Response Network and currently sits on the Governor's Suicide Prevention Commission and the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services Postvention Workgroup. Welcome, Barb, and thank you for participating today. Well, thanks for having me today, and it's a pleasure to be here. So our network's been caring for the Great Lakes Bay region for over 32 years. We uh, we started as grassroots after my 20-year-old brother, John, died by suicide. So I needed to find purpose for my pain. So our small network that started grassroots is not only local and statewide, but we're now recognized nationwide. So our main goal is to really advocate for change and how we care for those impacted by suicide and to also do suicide prevention efforts. What types of services and programs um, do you offer? Well, we do postvention and prevention programs. Uh, postvention is what we call people who have been impacted by a death and suicide. So our goal is to walk this journey with them so they don't have to walk it alone. So meaning we have an ongoing support group. We meet twice a month in Saginaw County. And we also have a lost team, which is local outreach for survivors of suicide. And it's, we call it peer to peer. So we take individuals who have walked their journey of brief suicide for a while, and we can connect and meet with families who are the newly bereaved. So for instance, a mother would meet with a mother a sibling with a sibling. And we just sit with the families to kind of guide them and to plant some hope. The prevention part of our network is we offer trainings that are actually being brought, being brought to your county that include assist, safe talk and awareness. And these are the prevention part of our programs. With the safe talk and assist programs, we're gonna be talking about that a little later, but we do appreciate you bringing those trainings to our county here in Tuscola County uh, with all the nine area school districts. We appreciate that. Can you share with our listeners what the current information about the number of people who died by suicide looks like since this whole pandemic started, uh, what was it, March of 2020? Yeah, yeah. So people anticipated the suicide rates going up, but actually in 2020, the CDC has some preliminary reports that are saying that our numbers of deaths of suicides have actually decreased around the nation as well as in Michigan here. So in 2020, we lost 44,834 people to suicide. And then in Michigan, we lost uh, 1,282. And remember, these are preliminary. But what we do know is that many people reached out more than ever before. So traditionally, suicide rates decrease during a crisis. However, they tend to increase a year following the um, incident. Why do you think they have a tendency to increase? Well, they have a tent afterwards. Well, because during the crisis, yeah. So during the crisis, um, people really tend to come together. The government steps up and they offer more services and communities in general are more willing to help. 
so people don't feel so alone and isolated. So if traditionally the rates increase after a year of a crisis, and we know that, right, we should start pre be preparing. It's kind of like going upstream. So shame on us if we don't start implementing things and continuing to do what we've done. And we really need to start preparing. So I believe if we continue to do what we've been doing during the pandemic, we can expect to see the numbers of death to suicide decrease. And then and the numbers of people seeking help, uh, help seeking behaviors increasing. So I think if the pandemic taught us anything, it's the importance of mental health and mental wellness. So we as a nation really started talking about mental health and well-being since the pandemic. We just really increased the um, information. We removed the stigma around the conversation. So I, I'm always confused as to why we can openly talk to our friends about our dentist, our chiropractor, and our physical therapist, but yet we get really uncomfortable talking about our mental health care. So we know that physical health can impact our mental health and our mental health can affect our physical health. So it's all about really caring for our whole self and having that open conversation. So do you remember, Susan, we're at the beginning of onset when the COVID statement that everybody was saying is, you know, we're all in this together. Yes, I do. So, yes. Yeah, it was like all over and it was that slogan we heard and on the billboards. And, you know, we talked about like we're all in the storm, right? We're all in this place of COVID together. But reality is we all had different boats, different sizes, you know, different experiences, different equipment. We had different financial stability, family issues, mental health, and life experiences. So although we're on this together, in some levels, we all have unique ways to handle it and to respond to the COVID. What we all started doing, which we have never really put down because we're all so busy in life, is we started checking on our neighbors, our friends, our families, coworkers. You know, people felt cared for and they had hope. We started using things like telehealth and telepsychiatry. We found creative ways to reach out to people who were feeling isolated. We made the difference. We made the effort. Now we found that many more people prefer telehealth or telepsychiatry. Barb, for individuals that may not know, can you explain what telehealth, telepsychiatry is, please? Sure. Just kind of a, a short version would be, you know, similar to going to the doctor's office. But what you can do is you can do it from the comforts of your own space, wherever that might be. So you might do it through a phone conversation, a computer, your, it'd be your primary care or your behavior health or like a counselor. They talk to you just like you were in person. It's all confidential. So you pick the space where you want to have this conversation. And they use things like Zoom or different platforms or just on your telephone. Uh, we do know that most insurances will cover, but what's important is that you call your doctor or call your local community mental health or wherever you're currently seeing, or if you need a new appointment and ask about the insurance. But we're finding that most insurance will cover if it has previously covered your treatment or your care. What other resources or opportunities um, do you think have helped individuals through some of the stressful events during COVID? Well, I know there's been some things that help myself and a lot of the people that I care for, but I found it interesting, something simple like the local stations, TV stations or radio, were reading, they were running breathing minutes, right? Throughout the day, you could hear them do that little pause. And I remember being anxious at some point, and I could just hear it just say, now let's take a minute to breathe. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot to breathe in the last hour. So it reminded us to kind of breathe and not get caught up in that anxiety. The state had phone lines called the warm lines, um, workplaces added employee assistance programs. So we call that EAP. So it's part of insurance benefits where they started to change the care for behavior health. 
we started using things like Zoom. We sent letters and cards to each other. I had so many people sending me cards thinking of you. I miss talking to you. Those were simple things, but they were very impactful. Neighbors would send over cookies. So, you know, COVID-15 pounds was a real deal. <laughs> it was like, I think a lot of us had COVID-15, um, but people were really just present for each other. So really many of us became more resourceful. We empowered each other. We took the time. So for myself and many of the people I spoke with, we came to realize that we've had a year and a half of life challenges. We found inner strengths that we never knew we had or we really needed. And we found support in places that we knew, never knew existed. Um, for myself, uh, people like to think that I'm also that caregiver and I'm here for everyone else. But for myself as a trainer and outreach advocate, my, my life came to a halt. Like my schedule was busy seven days a week, 10 hours a day. And then we get the COVID lockdown and my life changed dramatically. <laughs> it changed the way I knew it. I sat on this couch in my living room like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? I had to reevaluate who I was as a whole person, not just my work. So in some ways, I had a lot of my family and friends let go, you know, by the wayside with my work. So I started to become my work instead of being my whole self. So it really changed a lot of what we did um, in the past, but it doesn't have to destroy us as a nation. It really changed the way a lot of people did thing, do things and did things. We've changed. Barb, can you tell me what anxiety or depression might feel like or look like for someone that I care for and love very deeply? Sure. And, and you know, to remember, these are not diagnoses, but symptoms of depression, anxiety can be different for everyone. But for anxiety symptoms, oftentimes we get in our minds of worst case scenario. We get fearful of the unknown. We start to feel nervous, maybe restless or really intense. Um, oftentimes, a lot of panic starts to set in, increased heart rate, a lot of like shaking in your body, sort of trembling, uh, trouble concentrating, and then just that fear of uncertainty. And then depression is a little different, but same. For some people, they don't enjoy the things they used to. They might, might start to feel a little sad, alone, feel like nobody understands, no one cares. But most importantly, Susan, it's really when a person starts to feel like they don't even know who they are. They start to lose themselves and they know something's different. So we just encourage people to not self-diagnose, don't self-medicate, but to go see a doctor just like you would do with any other type of injury or quality of life changing, right? If your leg hurt and you couldn't run the same, walk the same, you couldn't function the same, you would go see your primary care. So we're really encouraging people to just sort of look at yourself and look at how much you've changed and where you're at compared to where you were. Yes, it's so important. Mental health and physical health, they go hand in hand and individuals need to start realizing that and talking to their doctors, their primary care physicians too. What can we do to kind of minimize some of the effects of anxiety or depression? Sure. Well, a lot of the experts are saying that we know that uncertainty can really increase anxiety, right? And COVID has really put us in that place of uncertainty. And my newest word that I never knew was in the dictionary is flexibility. That's my newest buzzword that we're hearing. But structure is really important when a person has anxiety. Our kids need it from the adults in their lives and adults need it in workplaces and in their own families. So whether it's working out, schedules, meal times, reading times, family times, those are things that are really going to help bring some structure to a person's life. But, and I'm, I'm not going to get on the bandwagon of all the video gaming, but we're seeing a lot of our youth and adults who are spending 12, 
20 hours in their bedrooms alone on video gaming. So they're not sleeping, they're not eating, they're not focusing on school, their social anxiety is going skyrocketing. So getting the kids outside out of the rooms where the, when they're in their rooms, they tend to have a lot of racing thoughts, right? They just continue to thought, um, have the same thinking pattern. So activity is really important. Um, anxiety can be relieved when there's a good plan and expectations. There's also some counseling um, they, that counselors are using, and it's called CBT, which is cognitive behavior therapy. Um, if you are seeking help for anxiety, you might want to ask if your therapist does offer that type of a um, healthcare or behavior help. Thank you. How do we know or how would someone know when to get help for someone who might be having thoughts of suicide or possibly if someone is listening right now and is having thoughts of suicide, what should they do? That's a great question. It can be confusing, right? We don't want to overreact and we don't want to underreact. So just the fact, Susan, that if an individual would have a concern about someone at any level, it's, this is the time to ask about suicide. This is the time to have the conversation. By the time you notice and recognize something might be wrong, there probably is. So in our trainings, we teach simple tools on how to ask someone if you're concerned. So we might teach you something like this, um, letting that person know that you care about. You know what? I've noticed that you've lost weight. You've been really angry or agitated. I've noticed that you've been drinking more. It doesn't seem like you're enjoying things the way you used to. So you let that person know that I noticed something about you has changed. And then you just say, you know, I'm really concerned with all that going on if you've been having thoughts of suicide. And so letting them know that I noticed you is enough to have that conversation. So Barb, individuals, listeners should really ask the individual directly if they have had thoughts of suicide, correct? Oh, exactly. Yes. Yes. You know, Susan, there's no shame in needing support. The majority of us do at some time in our life. So if you want to know if someone's having thoughts of suicide, then you need to ask. Because if we don't ask and we whisper the word, we're really adding stigma and shame to these people who really do want help. And if we don't ask the question, when we really have that thought or that concern inside, that individual might think that nobody noticed or nobody cares. And they're going to be uncomfortable talking about it. And if someone right now is listening, who's having, even if it's a fleeing thought or I wish I was dead or no one would care, please pick up the phone, make the calls that Susan's going to um, the phone numbers later, call a friend, but don't sit in silence because we can't help you if we don't know. So it's the person with thoughts also has to ask and tell someone, but people who are recognizing it should take the opportunity to ask the question. And, and I, I'm going to state the National Suicide Prevention 800 number right now. It's 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. And this is a great number to pop in your phone and your cell phone because you never know when you might need to refer to that number or refer it to a friend. But it's a great number to have. Susan I, and Susan, I want to do a plug in that too. Did you know that you can actually talk into your phone and say, hey, Siri, I'm thinking of suicide. Hey, Google, I'm thinking of suicide. And you can actually call it like to speak into your phone if you don't, um, if you can't remember the phone number. So that's also, and it connects you to the same people. And plus you can text um, home to the number 741741. All services are free. 
confidential and available 24 seven, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So Barb, do you have any last thoughts about this whole pandemic and COVID and what we can still learn? Yeah, I can tell you a lot. What I learned and what we're learning nationally is learning from our life challenges and our losses is really important. So we're using this new language and it's, um, there's a new language like after a tragedy or challenge and we're calling it post-traumatic growth, right? It means finding your new self and growing from the experience that you had. Finding a new appreciation for your new self, but focusing on what we've lost and the negative energy only causes a lot more issues. So redirecting your thoughts as much as possible is really better for each of us in our community. So in our support group for survivors of loss, um, there's our survivors of suicide loss group. We have a statement that we say is suicide changes us, but it doesn't have to destroy us. And I believe that with COVID, it does not have to destroy our country. There's many things that we can do. There's things that we can find that can help us be as successful, not only individually, but as a country. Barb, if someone's been impacted by suicide, what services do you? Well, we actually have a um, Hope Starts here. Uh, the Saturday before Thanksgiving, November 20th, it's going to be at the Bavarian Inn Lodge. You can check out our website, srrn.net. It's actually a national day to remember and honor those who've been impacted by suicide. Also, our network offers a outreach phone line. So if you call, we can just kind of talk you through, hear your grief, hear your pain, and just kind of sit in strength with you. We also have the loss team where we um, can go to the home or a safe place to meet with families to just bring hope there. And then our support group meets the first and third Tuesdays um, of each month. But if you make a phone call, we can also give you all the information. Also, I would like to tell our listeners that a lot of community mental health organizations, such as Tuscola Behavioral Health Systems, offers mental health first aid for youth and adults. Um, it, it teaches individuals how to identify, understand, respond to signs of signs of mental illness, and it's also substance use disorder. And you can Google mental health first aid and or go on www.tbhsonline.com for additional classes and information. Now, Barb, can you um, quickly talk or tell us about the assist and safe talk that we mentioned earlier? Sure. I know that we're going to be doing um, multiple trainings in your area. ASSIST, A-S-I-S-T, is Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training. It's two full days helping and training the individuals how to recognize when there's concern, asking the question, and then helping develop a safe plan. It's a very intense evidence-based training. Safe talk is a half a day, about three and a half hours, and we teach people how to recognize a thought for suicide and to connect them to someone in the community that can help. So there's two levels of one, uh, two full days and then a half a day. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Barb, for your time. And we have another guest with us today on the podcast, Rachel, who is a community member and very active member of the Tuscola County Suicide Prevention and Awareness Coalition. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, how are you guys today? We're good. Hey, Rachel, can you tell us, tell the audience a little about um, your loved one and his name, please? Yep. Um, my brother-in-law, his name was Chris. Um, he died from suicide back um, October 21st, 2017. He was like one of those men that, you know, like hunting and Halloween. 
had two girls and a wife and just like your normal average, you know, man, <laughs> obviously. Mm-hmm. Before he passed away, I didn't know much about a mental health or mental illness until he died. Um, just what suicide had said about mental health things and suicide things like, um, you know, people being selfish and, you know, that kind of thing. But after Chris had died, I knew, you know, there's no way that was true because that didn't fit him. He was a person who would help anyone who ever needed it, helped me get out of a lot of issues. And yeah, he just, that wasn't him. So um, yeah. Chris sounded like a great guy, but how did his death affect you? Well, um, the November after he died, I had my first panic attack and then would start having about three a day. And on top of that, my family also was um, mentally affected, of course. My son had trouble processing his uncle's death and started having his own suicidal thoughts. Now, when did you know or feel you needed to see a therapist to possibly help you on your journey of recovery? Well, around December, I would say, I knew that there's no way that I could help my son with what was going on with his life when I wasn't taking care of myself. It wasn't until I was struggling that I really realized on how um, inaccurate society's view of mental health was and think that I really felt like I needed to make a difference and change, you know, that. So through counseling and my son being in counseling, they really pushed forward for me to, you know, become an advocate because I kept saying things like that. I know you and I know your, your family somewhat. Um, and your son, he's doing well, just for our listeners to know. Yes, he's doing really well. Good. And he gave me permission to talk about this because I asked him. And yeah, he's doing very well. He was in counseling for about two years. We did make the choice to put him on an antidepressant that he is no longer needing. So I'm not that it's bad to take an antidepressant now, but he is just doing so much better through, you know, getting the help that he deserves because at one time I was unsure whether I would be at another funeral or not. Well, both of you guys have both gone through an incredible journey to on your way to recovery. But how did you find hope throughout all of this, Rachel? Uh, Again, um, like I had said before, counseling, um, Michael's really encouraged me to become an advocate. They, my counselor, especially, she just seen how I'm a fixer. So I had seen something that broke my heart and needed to fix that broken thing. Uh, So through becoming an advocate, getting to be part of the, you know, awareness and prevention coalition here in Tuscola County. I also took classes like the youth mental health first aid. I wanted to be sure to, um, you know, be able to help my son and realize like the, you know, the signs and symptoms because he was a self-harmer also. Uh, Then we went to a lot of different events. I think that made the biggest difference. We went to the Kevin Hines presentation and heard his story. We also went to out of darkness walk um in lansing we went to the different walks in like huron county and um the one in sanilac county also and just heard different people's stories and i think that really really helped made me feel less alone okay through that um we started a group called the mud and pumpkins um like i said before my brother-in-law was one of those men that loved halloween and 
anything dirty, like, you know, mud trucks and hunting and that kind of thing. So we started that and we worked on little things to do, you know, to help make awareness. We wear bright orange pumpkin shirts. You can't miss us wherever we go. So it brings up people, you know, asking like, hey, why are you wearing pumpkin shirts in the middle of August? And we can be like, because this is why. And so it's really brought the conversation more to the forefront through the mud and pumpkins also. And I know your family is involved in raising awareness of, su- of suicide prevention. Uh, can you tell the audience a little bit about your daughter's endeavors as well to raise funds? For sure, for sure. So my daughter and her friend, Alex, um, my daughter's name is Elena. Um, when they were 11 years old, so it was the September after my brother-in-law died, started a um, business called Begin Again Jewelry. And with Begin Again Jewelry, what they do is they take old unwanted jewelry. So everything that they have is donated to us and make it new. They'll like fix it up. Like some things are just really tarnished. Some things are broken. Um, There's a whole, you know, bunch of stuff that we get and they fix it, clean it, make it new and resell it. And all the proceeds Um, by donation. So they don't ask for a dollar amount. People just pay what they think is fair. And all those donations go to different um, suicide prevention programs. Uh, We've done many different ones, not just one, just many different. And uh, their main goal is to show people that anything that, you know, you think that's unwanted and um, unusable and broken can be made new again and made beautiful again. And somebody else I mean, people can still love. Thank you, Rachel. Rachel, if you could tell the audience one or two points about mental health and suicide prevention, what would they be? What would you want them to know? If you or a loved one is struggling, I would encourage you to talk to someone, um, either a friend, a therapist, maybe a doctor, um, anyone, just reach out. There's lots of resources in our community that Susan is going to talk to you about after all this. I just really want you to understand that I truly believe, and he had said it, that he thought that me and my family would be okay if, if Chris left, and he really thought we'd be better off without him, and that just has not been the case, and we really would want you to reach out to somebody because somebody needs you. We need you here with us. Uh, teens and young adults can encourage emotions greater um, since their brain is not fully developed. Nobody else is immune to the mental health condition and have a risk of suicide. So let's not judge or dismiss or try to talk people out of how they feel, but just ask them the question, do you think, um, are you thinking about completing suicide? And just be there for that person and take them seriously. Well, thank you, Rachel. And thank you, Barb, and to our listeners. I mean, obviously, this has not been suicide prevention, talking, having the conversation. Sometimes it's not easy for individuals, but it's important to start the conversation and to have hope. So let's elevate the conversations we have with friends and family and make suicide prevention a health and safety priority. Remember, you're not alone. If you or a loved one is in crisis, help is available. There is hope. Several resources are available, such as the National Suicide Prevention Number, which we mentioned earlier, 
273-8255 or the crisis text line, which you text home to number 741741. Some of the local resources that are available, Tuscola Behavioral Health Systems is your local community mental health provider in Tuscola, serving residents of Tuscola, and they can be reached at 989-673-6191. Emergency services staff are available 24-7. There's also List Psychological Services, where offices are located in Cairo, Bay City, Lapeer, Saginaw, and Bad Axe, and they can be reached at 989-673-5700. Thumb Area Psychological Services in Cassidy, Michigan can be reached at 989-872-1800. New Light Consultant, which is in Millington, they can be reached at 989-871. 6695. And all of those businesses can be Googled and the numbers will be coming up for you. Also, there is mantherapy.org. There's also My Strength app. My Strength is an evidence-based program. It's free to register if you are looking for stress reduction, meditation, information on depression, anxiety. And you can either download that app and place uh, Tuscola in the access code, it is free. It is not a replacement for a therapist. So I want to urge everyone, all of our listeners, if you or someone you love and care about are struggling, it's important to listen to the person and connect, connect them to the appropriate resources, either the National Suicide Prevention Hotline number 800-273-8255 or one of the local community mental health organization or other health organizations in the county that they live in. Thank you for listening to us today. Reach out to your friends and family and remember always to have hope.